Hello, welcome to Glittership, episode 57, for May 21st, 2018. This is your host, Keffi, and I'm super excited to share this story with you. Glittership is now part of the Audible Affiliate Program. What this means is that just by listening to Glittership, you are eligible to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial at Audible to check out the service. If you're looking for more queer science fiction to listen to, there's a full audiobook available of the Lightspeed magazine Queers Destroy Science Fiction special issue, featuring stories by a large number of queer authors, including John Chu, Chaz Brenchley, Rose Lemberg, and many others. To download a free audiobook today, go to www.audibletrial.com glittership and choose an excellent book to listen to, whether that's Queers Destroy Science Fiction or something else entirely. That link is www.audibletrial.com slash glittership. Today I have a story and a poem for you. The poem is Dionysus in London by Tristan Bader. Tristan is a student at Swarthmore College studying English literature and gender and sexuality studies. He loves reading poetry and speculative fiction, some of his favorite books being The Wasteland, H.D.'s Trilogy, Mark Doty's Atlantis, Francis Harding's Gullstruck Island, and Madeline Miller's The Song of Achilles. When not reading or writing, he can usually be found crafting absurdities with his boyfriend or yelling about literary theory. Dionysus in London by Tristan Bader The day exploded, you know. Last night, a woman with big bouffant hair told me, Show me a story where the daughter runs into a stop sign and it literally turns into a white flower. I fail to describe a total eclipse and the throne of petrified wood sank into the lake bed. James made love to Buckingham while I pulled the honeysuckle to me, made a flower crown for the leopards flanking me, while I watched red and white invert themselves, white petals pushing from the center of the sign as the post wilted until all that remained was a giant lotus on the storm grate waiting to rot or wash away. I let it stay there, while the Scottish king hid behind the Scottish play and walked behind me, one eye out for the mark left when locked in. You go witchy in there, or at least you, or he, or I. Learn to be afraid of the big coats and brass buttons, like the ones in every hall closet. You never know if they will turn, like yours, into bats and bugs and giant tarantulas made from wire hangers. The woman showed me our reflections in the shop window while one or the other man in the palace polished the silver for his lover's table and asked me who I loved. I decided on the cream linen since the wool was too close to the peacoat that hung by your door. I suppose that the cat is under the car. That's probably where it fled to as we walked. Knowing we already found that the ivy in your hair was artificial as the bacchanal, or your evasion, sire, of the question, and of the serpents who are well worth the well offered to them with the wet wax on my crown. I suppose the car is under the cat, in which case it must be a very large cat, or else a very small car. I eat your teeth. I see brilliantine teeth floating in her thick red lipstick. James tears apart the rhododendron, chattering about his incisors and remembering the flesh and... Nothing so exotic as a sphinx, maybe a dust mote or lip marks left on the large leather chase. 
Teeth gleam from the shadows where I wait. Thirst is raised with the cone almost touching the roof of the forest to drown in a peacock as it swallows. Chimney swifts the sun, or was it sun? Or maybe it was just a grape I fed it so it would eat the spiders crawling from the closet. It struts across the palace green like it owns the place, like it will replace the hunting grounds with fields of straggling mint that the king would never ask for. The woman teases up her hair before the mirror, filling the restroom with hairspray and big laughs before walking back into the restaurant, where we wait to make ourselves over, the way the throne did when the wood crumbled under the pressure of an untold story leaving nothing but crystals and dust. We argued for an hour over whether to mix leaves and flowers, plants and gems, before settling on four crowns, one for each of us. Her hair mostly covers hers. The cats will love it, though, playing with teeth that were knocked into your wine in the bar fight. Why did you order wine in a place like that, Buck? And you got replaced with gold like I wear woven in my braids, as the sun sets on the daughter that, unsurprisingly, none of us have. But if we did, she would turn yield signs into dahlias, and that would be the sign to move on with the leopards and their flashing teeth and brass eyes and listen to the walls and rivers, to the sculpture that is far whiter than me falling, and to the peacock, which has just eaten another bug so you don't have to kill it. Get yourself a dresser and cover it with white enamel. It'll hold up, and no insects live in dressers. Keep the ivy and the pine cone in a mother-of-pearl trinket box with your plastic volumizing hair inserts and jeweled combs, and put a cat and dolphin on it to remember. Next, our short story this episode is You Inside Me by Tori Curtis. Tori Curtis writes speculative fiction with a focus on LGBT and disability issues. She is the author of one novel, Eelgrass, and a handful of short stories. You can find her at ToriCurtisWrites.com and on Twitter at TKurtFish, where she primarily tweets about how perfect her wife is. Content warning for descriptions of traumatic surgery. You... Inside Me by Tori Curtis It'll be fun, he said. Everyone's doing it. You don't have to be looking for romance. It's just a good way to meet people. I don't think it's about romance at all, Sabella said. She wove her flower crown into her braids so that the wire skeleton was hidden beneath strands of hair. I think if you caught a congressman doing this, he'd have to resign. That's because we've never had a vampire congressman, Diedrich said. He rearranged her so that her shoulders fell from their habitual place at her ears, her chin pointed up, and snapped photos of her. Step forward a little. There. You look more yourself in that light. They took 15 minutes to edit her photos. They'll expect you to use a filter, so you might as well, and pop the best ones on her profile. Sucker the premier dating app for vampires and their fanciers. It's like we're cats, she said. I heard you like cats, he agreed, and she sighed. Hi, I'm Sabella. I've been a vampire since I was six years old, and I do not want to see or be seen by humans. I'm excited to meet men and women between the ages of 18 and 65, that's way too big of an age range, Diedrich said. 
You want to be compatible with these people. Yeah, compatible, like my tissue type. You don't want to end up flirting with a grandpa. I'm excited to meet men and women between the ages of 20 and 35. I'm most proud of my master's degree. You should message me if you're brave and crazy. It took days, not to mention Diedrich's exasperated return, before she went back on sucker. She paced up the beautiful wood floors of her apartment, turning on heel at the sole window on the long end and the painted-over cast-iron radiator on the short. When she felt too sick to take care of herself, her mom came over and put rumors on, wrapped her in scarves that were more pretty than functional, warmed some blood, and gave it to her in a sippy cup. Sibella remembered nothing so much as the big slurpees her mom had brought her, just this bright red, when she'd had strep the last year she was human. She wore the necklace Diedrich had given her every day. It was a gold slice of pepperoni pizza with best emblazoned on the back. His matched, but red friends. And she fondled it like a hangnail. She rubbed the bruises on her arms, where the skin had once been clear, and she'd once thought herself pretty in a plain way, like Eleanor Dashwood, as though she might be able to brush off the dirt. She called her day-sleeper friends, texted acquaintances, and slowly stopped responding to their messages as she realized how bored she was of presenting hope, day after day. 2.1908, Beakist Rose I'm so sorry. 2.1921, Beakist Rose I feel like such a douche. 2.1924, Sabella Say Question marks. 2.2004, Sabella Say What are you talking about? 2.2556, Beakist Rose You talked me down all those times. I would have just died. 2.2608, Sabella Say It was really NBD. 2.26.27, Be Kissed Rose. I've never been half as good as you are. 2.26.48, Be Kissed Rose. And now you're so sick. 2.29.12, Sabella Say. Dude, stop acting like I'm dying. 2.29.45, Sabella Say. I can't stand it. 2.30.13, Be Kissed Rose. God, you're so brave. Sabella Say has become inactive. Everyone keeps calling me saying you stopped talking to them, Diedrich said when he made it back to her place. She was up on the couch now that he'd finally wiped them of mud. Should I feel lucky you let me in? I'm tired, she said. It's supposed to be a symptom. I like this one. I think she has potential. He took her phone and considered it with the weight of a father researching a car seat. A perfect date. I take you for a ride around the lake on my bike then we stop home for an evening snack. She means her motorcycle, Sabella clarified. He rolled his eyes and continued reading. My worst fear, commitment. At least she's honest. That's not really a good thing. You're not looking for someone to skip out halfway through the movie. No, I'm looking for someone who's not going to be heartbroken when I die anyway. Diedrich sighed all the air going out of his chest as if it might escape from dough kneaded too firmly, and held her close to him. You're stupid, he told her, but so sweet. I think I'm going to send her a nip. The girl was named Ash, but she spelled it I-A-S-L-I-N-G, 
and she seemed pleased that Sibella knew enough not to ask lots of stupid questions. They met in a park by the lakeside, far enough from the playground that none of the parents would notice the fanged flirtation going on below. If Ashling had been a boy, she would have been a teen heartthrob. She wore her hair long where it was slicked back, and short, touchable but hard to grab in a fight, everywhere else. She wore a leather jacket that spoke of a once-in-a-lifetime thrift store find, and over the warmth of her blood and her breath, she smelled like bag balm. Sabella wanted to hide in her arms from a fire. She wanted to watch her drown, trying to save her. Ashling parked her motorcycle and stowed her helmet before coming over to say hi. Gentlemanly, Sabella thought, to give her a chance to prepare herself. What kind of scoundrel left you to wait all alone? Ashling asked, with the sort of effortlessly cool smile that might have broken a lesser woman's heart. I don't know, Sabella said, but I'm glad you're here now. Ashling stepped just inside her personal space and frowned. I'm sorry, I don't mean to be rude, she said, but are you... I'm trans, yes, Sabella interrupted, and smiled so wide she could feel the tension at her temples, like doing sit-ups the wrong way for years, having this conversation so many times hadn't made it comfortable, only routine. We don't need to be awkward about it. Okay. Ashling agreed, and sat on the bench, helping Sabella down with a hand on her elbow. I meant that you seem sick. She looked uneasy, and Sabella sensed that she had never been human. Vampires didn't get sick. She had probably never had more than a headache, and that only from hunger. Yes, Sabella said, I am sick. I'm not actually, I mentioned this on my profile, I'm not actually looking for love. I hope you won't be too disappointed when it finds you, Ashling said, and Sabella blushed, reoriented herself with a force like setting a bone, like if she tried hard enough to move in one direction, she'd stop feeling like a spinning top. I'm looking for a donor, she said. Yeah, all right, Ashling said. She threw her arm over the back of the bench so that Sabella felt folded into her embrace. I'm always willing to help a pretty girl out. I don't just mean your blood, she said, and felt herself dizzy. It was easier for Sabella to convince someone to do something than it was for her to ask for it. Her therapist had told her that, and even said it was common, but he hadn't said how to fix it. Please, may I have your liver, was too much to ask, and please, I don't want to die, was a poor argument. So you would take my liver... It would actually only be part of your liver, Sabella said, stopping to catch her breath. She hadn't been able to go hiking since she'd gotten so sick. She needed company and easy trails, and her friends either didn't want to go or, like her mom, thought it was depressing to watch her climb a hill and have to stop to spit up bile. So we would each have half my liver in the end. Sabella shrugged and looked into the dark underbrush. If she couldn't be ethical about this, she wouldn't deserve a liver. She wouldn't try to convince Ashling until she understood the facts. In humans, livers will regenerate once you cut them in half and transplant them. Like how kids think if you cut an earthworm in half, you get two. Or like bulbs. Ideally, it would go like that. And if it didn't go ideally... Turn me, Diedrich said one day, impulsively, when she'd been up all night with a nosebleed that wouldn't stop, 
holding her in his lap with his shirt growing polka-dotted. I'll be a vampire in a few days, and we can have the surgery. You'll be cured in a week. If it doesn't go ideally, Sabella says, one or both of us dies. If it goes poorly, I don't even know what happens. She stepped off the tree and set her next target, a curve in the trail where a tree had fallen and the light shone down on the path. Normally these days, she didn't wear shoes but flip-flops, but this was a date, and she'd pulled her old rainbow chucks out of the closet. Ashling walked with her silently, keeping pace, and put an arm around her waist. Sabella looked up and down the trail. Green Lake was normally populated enough that people kept to their own business, and these days she felt pretty safe going about, even with a girl. But she checked anyway before she leaned into Ash's strength, letting her guide them so that she could use all her energy to keep moving. But if it doesn't happen at all, you die no matter what. Sabella took a breath. If you don't want to, I look for someone else. Her mom was waiting for her when Sabella got home the next morning. Sabella's mother was naturally blonde, tough when she needed to be, the sort of woman who could get into hours-long conversations with state fair tchotchkeed vendors. She'd gotten Sabella through high school and into college through a careful application of stamping and yelling. When Sabella had started calling herself Raven, she brought a stack of baby name books home and said, All right, let's find you something you can put on a resume. Mom, she said, but smiling, I gave you a key in case I couldn't get out of bed, not so you could check if I spent the night with a date. How'd it go? Was this the girl Diedrich helped you find? Ashling, yeah, Sabella said. She sat on the recliner, a mountain of accent pillows cushioning her tender body. It was good. I like her a lot. Did she decide to get the surgery? I don't know. I didn't ask her to choose. Then what did you two do all night? Sabella frowned. I like her a lot. We had a good time. Her mom stood and put the kettle on, and Sabella couldn't help thinking what an inconvenience she was, that her mother couldn't fret over her by making toast and a cup of tea. Christ, what decent person would want to do that with you? We have chemistry. She's very charming. She examined Sabella with the dissatisfied air of an artist. You're a mess, honey. You're so orange you could be a jack-o'-lantern and swollen all over. You look like you barely survived a dogfight. I don't even see my daughter when I look at you anymore. Sabella tried to pull herself together to look more dignified, but instead she slouched further into the recliner and crossed her arms over her chest. Maybe she thinks I'm funny or smart. Maybe she's taking advantage. Anyone who really cared about you wouldn't be turned on, They'd be worried about your health. Sabella remembered the look on Ashling's face when she'd first come close enough to smell her and shuddered. I'm not going to ask her to cut out a part of her body for me without thinking about it first, she said. Without giving her something in return? Her mom asked. It's less than two pounds. But it's still her choice, Sabella said. I'm starting to wonder if you even want to live, her mom said and left. Sabella found the energy to go turn off the stove top before she fell asleep. Her mother had raised her responsible. 1248.51, Be Kissed Rose What happens to a dream bestowed? 1249.03, Be Kissed Rose Upon a girl too weak to fight for it. 
1253.15, Sabella say, Ha ha, you can't sleep either. 1253.38, Sabella say, Babe, IDK. 1255.43, Sabella say, Is it better to have loved and lost? 1256.29, Sabella say, Than to die a virgin? 1018, be kissed rose. I guess I don't know. 1124, be kissed rose. Maybe it depends if they're good. It's nice here, Ashling confessed the third time they visited the lake. Sabella and her mom weren't talking, but she couldn't imagine it would last more than a few days longer, so she wasn't worried. I'd never even heard of it. I grew up around here, Sabella said, and I used to take my students a few times a year. You teach? I used to teach, she said, and stepped off the trail. The shores were made up of a gritty white sand like broken shells to watch the sinking sun glint off the water. Seventh grade science. Ashling laughed. That sounds like a nightmare. I like that they're old enough you can do real projects with them, but before it breaks off into, you know, are we doing geology or biology or physics? When you're in seventh grade, everything is science. She smiled and closed her eyes so that she could feel the wind and the sand under her shoes. She could hear birds settling and starting to wake, but she couldn't place them. They've got a long-term sub now. Theoretically, if I manage to not die, I get my job back. Ashlyn came up behind her and put her arms around her. Sabella knew she hadn't really been weaving. She knew her limits well enough now, she hoped. But she felt steadier that way. You don't sound convinced. I don't think they expect to have to follow through, Sabella admitted. Sometimes I think I'm the only one who ever thinks I'm going to survive this. My mom's so scared all the time. I know she doesn't. Ashley held her not tight but close, like being tucked into a bright, clean comforter on a cool summer afternoon. Can I ask you a personal question? She said, her face up against Sabella's neck so that every part of Sabella wanted her to bite. Maybe. She said, then thought better of it. Yes. How'd you get sick? I didn't think we could catch things like that. Or was it while you were human? Um, no, but I'm not contagious, just nasty. Ashling laughed, and she continued encouraged. Mom would, you know, once I came out, I could do pretty much whatever I wanted, but she wouldn't let me get any kind of reconstructive surgery until I was 18, she thought it was creepy, some doc getting his hands all over her teenage kid. Probably fair. So, I'm 18, and she says, Okay, you're right. You got good grades in school, and you're going to college like I asked. I'll pay for whatever surgery you want. And you have to imagine, I just scheduled my freshman orientation. I have priorities. Which are? Getting laid, mostly. Yeah, I remember that. So, I'm 18, and hardly ever been kissed. I'm not worried about the details. I don't let my mom come with me. It doesn't even occur to me to see a doctor who's worked with vampires before. I just want to look like Audrey Hepburn's voluptuous sister. Oh no, Ash said. It hung there for a moment, the dread and Sabella's not being able to regret that she'd been so stupid. It must have come up. Sure, he said he was pretty sure it would be possible to do the surgery on a vampire. He knew other surgeries had been done. I was just so excited he didn't say no. Ash held her tight then, like she might be dragged away otherwise, and Sabella knew that it had nothing to do with her in particular, that it was only the protective instinct of one person watching another live out her most plausible nightmare. 
What did he do to you? It wasn't his fault, she said, and then, grimacing, she knew her mother would have been so angry with her. At least, he didn't mean anything by it. He never read anything about how to adapt the procedure to meet my needs. She sounded so clinical, like she'd imbibed so many doctors' explanations of what had happened that she was drunk on it. But neither did I. We both found out you can't give vampires a blood transfusion. Why would you need to? She shrugged. You don't, usually, in plastic surgery. No, Ashley interrupted. I mean, why wouldn't you drink it? Sibella tried to remember, or tried not to be able to, and tucked her cold hands into her pockets. You're human, I guess? Anyway, I puked all over him, and the incision sites had to be hospitalized. My doctor says I'm lucky I'm such a good healer, or I'd need new boobs and a new liver. They were both quiet, and Sibella thought, This is it. You either decide it's too much, or you kiss me again. She thought, I miss getting stoned with friends and telling shitty surgery stories and listening to them laugh. I hate that when I meet girls, their getting to know you involves their YouTube makeup tutorials and mine involves, and then after they took the catheter out. Did you sue for malpractice at least? Ash asked, and Sibella couldn't tell without looking if her tone was teasing or wistful. My mom did, yeah, when they still wanted her to pay for the damn surgery. Ashling pulled up to the front of Sabella's building and stopped just in front of her driveway. She kicked her bike into park and stepped onto the sidewalk, helping Sabella off and over the curbside puddle. Sabella couldn't find the words for what she was thinking. She was so afraid that her feelings would shatter as they crystallized. She wanted Ash to brush her hair back from her face and comb out the knots with her fingers. She wanted Ash to stop by to shovel the drive when there was lake-effect snow. She wanted to find how to minimize jaundice in the search history of Ashling's phone. You're beautiful in the sunlight, Ash said, breaking her thoughts, maybe on purpose, like you were made to be outside. Sabella ducked her head and leaned up against her. The date was supposed to be over. Go inside and let this poor woman get on with her life. But she didn't want to leave. It's nice to have someone to go with me, she said, especially with a frost in the air. Sometimes people act like I'm so fragile. Ridiculous. You're a vampire. Her ears were cold, and she pressed them against Ashling's jawbone. She wondered what the people driving past thought when they saw them. She thought that maybe the only thing better than surviving would be to die a tragic death, loved and loyally attended. I was born human. Even God makes mistakes. Sibella smiled. Is that what I am? A mistake? Nah, she said. Just a happy accident. Sibella laughed thought, you're such a stoner, and I feel so safe when you look at me like that. I'll do it, Ash said. What do I have to do to set up the surgery? Sibella hugged her tight, hid against her, and counted the seconds. One, two, three, four, five, while Ash didn't change her mind and Sibella wondered if she would. I have to stress how potentially dangerous this is, Dr. Young said. I can't guarantee that it will work, that either of you will survive the procedure or the recovery, or that you won't ultimately regret it. Ashling was holding it together remarkably well, Sabella thought, but she still felt like she could catch her avoiding eye contact. Sabella had taken the seat in the doctor's office between her mother and girlfriend and felt uncomfortable and strange no matter which of their hands she held. 
Um, Ash said, and Sabella could feel her mother's judgment at her incoherence. You said you wouldn't be able to do anything for the pain? To her credit, the doctor didn't fidget or look away. Sabella, having been on the verge of death long enough to become something of a content expert, believed that it was important to have a doctor who was upfront about how terrible her life is. I wouldn't describe it as nothing, exactly, she said. There aren't any anesthetics known to work on vampires, but we'll make you as comfortable as possible. You can feed immediately before and as soon as you're done, and that will probably help snow you over. Being a little blood high, Ash clarified, while you cut out my liver. Yes. Sabella wanted to apologize. She couldn't find the words. Ashling said, Well, while we're trying to make me comfortable, can I smoke up, too? Dr. Young laughed. It wasn't cruel, but it wasn't promising, either. That's not a terrible idea, she said, but marijuana increases bleeding, and there are so many unknown variables here that I'd like to stick to best practices if we can. I can just... Sabella said and choked. She wasn't sure when she'd started crying. Find someone else. Diedrich will do it, I know. Ashlyn considered this. The room was quiet, soft echoes on the peeling tile floor. Sabella's mother put an arm around her, and she felt tiny, but in the way that made her feel ashamed and not protected. Ashlyn said, why are you asking me? Is there something you know that I don't? Dr. Young shook her head. I promise we're not misrepresenting the procedure, she said, and theoretically it might be possible with any vampire, but there aren't a lot of organ transplants in the literature. Harvesting, sure, but not living transplants, and I want to get it right the first time. If we have a choice, I told Sabella I'd rather use a liver from a donor who was born a vampire. I think it'll increase our chance of success. A baby'd be too weak, Ashling agreed. Her voice was going hard and theoretical. Well, tell me something encouraging. One of the first things we'll do is cut through almost all of your abdominal nerves, so that will help. And there's a possibility that the experience will be so intense that you don't remember it clearly or at all. Sabella's mother took a shaky breath, and Sabella wished, hating herself for it, that she hadn't come. Ash said, painful, you mean. The experience will be so painful. If you choose to go forward with it, Dr. Young said, we'll do everything we can to mitigate that. Sabella had expected that Ashling would want space and patience while she decided not to die a horrible, painful death to save her. It was hard to tell how, instead, they'd ended up in her bed with the lights out, their legs wound together and their faces swollen with sleep. Sabella was shaking and couldn't have said why. Ash grabbed her by her seat and pulled her up close. You said you couldn't get me sick, she asked. No, Sabella agreed, although my blood is probably pretty toxic. Ash kissed her, the smell of car exhaust still stuck in her hair. What a metaphor, she murmured, and lifted her chin. You look exhausted. Sabella thought, are you saying what I think you're saying? And that's a terrible idea, and said, God, I want to taste you. Well, baby, Ash said and her hands were on Sabella, so she curled her lips and blew her hair out of her eyes. That's what I'm here for. Sabella had been human once, and she remembered what food was like. The standard lie that drinking blood was like eating a well-cooked steak was wrong, but close enough to staunch the flow of an interrogation. She'd had friends and exes, turned as adults, who said it was like a good stout on tap, hefty and refreshing, 
but she thought they might just be trying to scandalize her. Ash could have been a stalk of rhubarb or August raspberries. She moved under Sabella and held her so that their knees pressed together. She could have been the thrill of catching a fat, thorny toad in among the lettuce at dusk, or a paper wasp in a butterfly net. She felt like getting tossed in the lake in January. She tasted like being wrapped in fleece and gently dried before the fire. Her scent was what Sabella remembered of collapsing, limbs a-quiver, on the exposed bedrock of a mountain top, nothing but crushed pine and the warmth of a moss bed. She woke on top of ash, licking her wounds lazily. She wanted more, but she was too tired to do anything about it. That's better, Ash whispered, and if she was disappointed that this wasn't turning into a frenzy, she didn't show it. They were quiet for long enough that the haze started to fade, and then Ashling said, I couldn't ask in front of your mother, but was it like that with your other surgery? They couldn't do anything for the pain? Sibella shifted uncomfortably and rolled over next to Ash. I was conscious, yes. Do you remember it? It was a hard question. She wanted to say it wasn't her place to ask. She tried to remember and got caught up in the layers of exhaustion, the spaces between the body she'd had, the body she'd wanted, and what they had been doing to her. Sounds and sensations and thoughts, mostly, she said. Ash choked and said, so everything. And Sabella realized she didn't know how she hadn't, how scared she must be. No, it's blurry, she said instead. I remember, um, the tugging at my chest. I kept thinking there was no way my skin wasn't just going to split open. And the scraping sounds. They've got all these tools and they're touching you on the inside and the outside at the same time, and that's very unsettling. And this man, I think he was the PA, standing over me saying, You've got to calm down, honey. Were you completely freaking out? Ash asked. Sibella shook her head. Her throat hurt. No, I mean, I cried a little, not as much as you'd think. They said if I wasn't careful, you know, with swallowing at the right times and breathing steady, they might mess up reshaping my larynx and I could lose my voice. Ash swore, and Sibella wondered if she would feel angry. Sometimes she would scream and cry, say, Can you imagine doing that to an 18-year-old? Right now, she was just tired. How did you manage? I don't know, she admitted. I think just it was worth more to me to have it done than anything else, so I didn't ever tell them to stop. Please don't go around telling people I think this is an acceptable surgical setup, Dr. Young said, looking around the exam room. It reminded Sabella of a public hearing, the way the stakeholders sat at opposing angles and frowned at each other. Dr. Young sat next to Dr. Park, who would be the second doctor performing the procedure. Sibella had never met Dr. Park before, and her appearance, young mostly, didn't inspire confidence. Sibella sat next to her mother, who held her hand and a clipboard full of potential complications. Ash crossed her fingers in her lap, sat with a nervous child's version of polite interest. Time seemed not to blur, but to stutter, everything happening, whenever. Dr. Park, Sibella's mother said, do you have any experience operating on vampires? Dr. Park grinned, and her whole mouth seemed to open up in her face, her gums pale pink as a jolly rancher and her left fang chipped. Usually trauma or obstetrics, she admitted, although this is nearly the same thing. I'm serious, 
Sibella's mom said, and Sibella interrupted. I liked her, she said, and then it wasn't really a question except in the sense that there was no way anyone could be sure. You're not going to realize halfway through the surgery that it's too much for you. Dr. Park laughed. I turned my husband when we were both 18, she said, as testament to her cruelty. Sibella's mom jumped. Jesus Christ, why? She shrugged, languid. Ash and Dr. Young were completely calm. Ash might have had no frame of reference for what it was like to watch someone turn, and Dr. Young had probably heard this story before. His parents didn't like that he was dating a vampire. You'll do crazy things for love. Sabella could see her mother blanch even as she studied. It wasn't unheard of for a vampire to turn their spouse, less common now that it was easier to live as a vampire, and humans were able to date freely but not really commit. But she could remember being turned, young as she had been, the gnawing ache, the hallucinations, the thirst that had only sometimes eclipsed the pain. It was still the worst thing that she'd ever experienced, and she was sure her mother couldn't understand why anyone would choose to do it to someone they loved. Good, she said. You won't turn back if we scream. Dr. Young frowned. I want you to know you have a choice, she said. She was speaking to Ash. Sabella had a choice, too, but it was only between one death and another. There will be a point when you can't change your mind, but by then it'll be almost over. Ash swore. It made Dr. Park smile, and Sabella's mom frown. Sabella wondered if she was in love with her, or if it was impossible to be in love with someone who was growing a body for them to share. Don't say that, Ash said. I don't want to have that choice. The morning of the surgery, Ashling gave Sabella a rosary to wear with her pizza necklace, and when they kicked Sabella's mom out to the waiting room, she kissed them both as she went. I like your mom, Ash said shyly. They lay in cots beside each other, just close enough that they could reach out and hold hands across the gap. I bet she'd get along with mine. Sabella laughed, her eyes stinging, threw herself across the space between them and kissed each of Ash's knuckles while Ash said, Ah, come on, save it till we get home. Isn't that a lot of commitment for you? Sabella asked. Yeah, well, Ash said, caught, and gave her a cheesy smile. You're already taking my liver, at least my heart won't hurt so much. They drank themselves to gorging while nurses wrapped and padded them in warm blankets. Ash was first, for whatever measure of mercy that was, and while they were wheeled down the dizzying white hallway, she grinned at Sabella, wild, some stranger's blood staining her throat to her nose. You're a real looker, she said, and Sabella laughed over her tears. Thank you, Sabella said. I mean, really, for everything. Ash winked at her. Sabella wanted to run away from all of this and drink her in until they died. It's all in a day's work, ma'am, she said. It wasn't. It couldn't have been. And Sibella loved her for pretending. Ash hissed. She cried. She asked intervention of every saint learned in K-12 through at a Catholic school. A horrible gelatinous noise came as Dr. Young's gloves touched her innards, and Ash moaned and Sibella said, You have to stop. This is awful. And the woman assigned to supervise her held her down and said, Hush, honey. You need to be quiet. And the doctor's voices, neither gentle nor unkind. We're almost done now, Ashling. You're being so brave. And it's a pity she's too strong to pass out. Sabella went easier. 
hands she couldn't see wiping her down and slicing her open, while Dr. Park pulled Ash's insides back together. She'd been scared for so long that the pain didn't frighten her. She kept asking, is she okay? What's happening? Until the woman at her head brushed back her hair and said, shh, she's in the recovery room. You can worry about yourself now. It felt right, fixing her missteps with pieces of ash, and when Dr. Young said, there we go, just another minute and you can go take care of her yourself, Sibella thought about Meromictic Lakes, about stepping into a body so deep, its past never touched its present. Dionysus in London is copyright Tristan Biter, 2018. You Inside Me is copyright Tori Curtis, 2018. This recording is a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license, which means you can share it with anyone you'd like, but please don't change or sell it. Our theme is Aurora Borealis by Bird Creek, available through the Google Audio Library. You can support Glittership by checking out our Patreon at patreon.com slash subscribing to our feed, or by leaving reviews on iTunes. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back soon with a reprint of The City of Kites and Crows by Megan Arkenberg. 